0: Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing a message for the fathers out there with a message entitled A Man Who Walked with God from Genesis chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 11. Now, if you're looking for a church, a place that you can connect with other believers, and just learn more about God and who He is and who you need to be in that relationship, we invite you to come and to worship with us. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and you can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com. Again, Pastor Kirk is sharing from Genesis 5 and Hebrews 11. Today, let's listen together.
1: Genesis 5, Hebrews 11. If you don't have a Bible and want to read out of One of the Bibles in the book rack in front of you is page number four and page number 1007, and we will not try to cover everything in between those two passages, if that's all right with you. Well, I had intended and as announced and asked for your prayers to um, in preparation for a message today that you will find announced there a title on your uh worship guide and that was my intention completely uh but i am reserving that for next sunday i felt like i just needed a little bit more time in my preparation but also i just felt impressed to the lord to um uh, to share with you something for father's day now that's not normal as you know, uh, for me, I, I don't always care for special Sundays and trying to plan a message for a special Sunday. For If you do that with all of the different Sundays in the course of a year, you'll never have any kind of consistency of Bible teaching. You know that our norm here is to go verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, and uh, we typically do that. Uh, But we uh, will not do that today and next Sunday. Um, You know, if you you plan a message for Mother's Day, Father's Day, Independence Day, church anniversaries, Groundhog Day, all those other things, I've never have found a good text for Groundhog's Day, but if I find one, I'm going to preach it. (laughs) Come next February or January or for whenever it is. I want to talk to you and tell you about a man who walked with God. Now, some of you, because you keep very careful notes, and I love that when people keep notes, you know, they're so intent on the message of the Bible study. But if you ever come back and preach or teach something again later, because everybody forgets, there's always somebody that says, I remember when you preached that one time before. So the four points that I'm going to share with you, actually there were three points I believe in that message, uh, or in a Bible study about four or five years ago, I'm going to revisit that, but I'm going to put a different face on it, okay? By by the selection of the text, you've probably already figured out that, uh, and we talk about a man who walked with God, uh, you probably figured out, well, this is going to be about Enoch. Because Enoch is mentioned in uh, that graveyard of a chapter of God's Word known as Genesis chapter 5, where everybody dies. And it tells us this long genealogy, and Enoch is one of the names there. And then he is mentioned ever so briefly, way over in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter of the Bible, God's hall of fame, so to speak. And so these points, when I presented them to you in a previous Bible study, uh, they were all applicable to Enoch, and they still are. But on this Father's Day, I want to uh, put another face on that, and I'll tell you what, if you go ahead and put up that slide, Georgia, that next slide, that is the literal face. That's my dad, and that's my mom. Both have been gone for almost 12 years. They died about a month and a half apart uh, 12 years ago. But I, I want to put a face on this text because the things that applied to Enoch, they also apply to a lot of other men, a lot of other fathers, grandfathers, and they certainly apl- applied to my dad. His name was Calvin Wilson Shelton. And I don't want to exalt him as a person today as much as I want to exalt the God he followed and the God he served and the God who beckons you and me to do the same, to walk with him as my dad did, to walk with him as Enoch did. First of all, Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, He fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please God, for whosoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him this is the word of the Lord and certainly thanks be to God for it I've always been fascinated by this character known as Enoch his story intrigues me as I think probably it does you as well if you read Genesis chapter 5 in its entirety you'll find that Enoch living for 365 years wasn't such a big deal Now, that would be a big deal today, but it wasn't a big deal back then because he was like the shortest living uh, of any of those people mentioned there. His own son lived to be, what was it, 969 years old? Can you imagine all the changes you would see in that length of life? Well, Enoch didn't live so long. He lived just a to be, he was still kind of a young whippersnapper at 365 when the Lord took him home. He did not experience death. Like Elijah, these were the two people of scripture we know of that lived their lives and experienced the privilege of being caught away and taken home to heaven to be with the Lord without experiencing death Are decay in this life. It's for that reason that many people think that Elijah and Enoch will be the two witnesses that show up in the book of Revelation at the end of time to preach, and that they'll be killed in the streets, and that they will have to experience a death since they did not experience one in their natural lives so far. Well, that's another story altogether, and I don't know about that. I get to the book of Revelation, and I just scratch my head like the rest of you. It's kind of a mystery, isn't it? Let me talk to you a little bit about Enoch and about Calvin Wilson Shelton. Number one, I want you to notice the commencement or the beginning of his walk. Isn't it interesting that we've just experienced the commencement season in high schools and in colleges all over this country. And I always grew up thinking commencement kind of meant, you know the final hello, you know, to everything, the final chapter of the whole experience, that, that it was the ending of school years, uh, of your high school years, of your college years. But commencement is a beginning. And so it celebrates not the end of school, it celebrates the beginning now of what real life is all about. And for Enoch, there was a commencement of his walk with God. It said in Genesis 5 that Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah. Now, I don't want to try to read too much into this passage. I don't want to try to project my ideas on it. Uh, But we don't know if he was walking with God before his son was born. But it's said that he walked with God after he followed or fathered Methuselah. Understand that oftentimes for moms and dads, there is something about becoming a father or a mother that changes life. Now, it changes life in a lot of very practical ways. Sleepless nights and a lot of other things. But it changes oftentimes a person spiritually when they become a parent. My family has uh, friends uh, in the state of Oregon. And uh, there was a pastor out there. There was a fellow pastor when we lived in Washington State. And he had a son by the name of Danny. and I don't need to go any further in giving you more information about uh, Danny as far as who he was and all that. Other than to say, growing up, he came into this world pushing all the boundaries of life. I mean, if it said you can't do this, he was going to do it. And he got himself into so much trouble just because he was an adventurous person who loved life. Now, to kind of give you an idea, Danny and a friend of his got kicked out by the officials, got kicked out of the Grand Canyon. Now, I don't know what kind of rules you have to break for that to happen, but he was booted out of the Grand Canyon. He was sent packing. My wife and I happened to be going from Washington down to Oregon to visit some family, and we're going down the interstate highway at the beginning of that adventure for Danny and his friend when they had just left home to go out and just backpack all the way across America. And we're going down Interstate 5 in Oregon and passed by two hitchhikers, which is very common, and I hit my brakes, and Tony said, what in the world's going on? I said, I don't know, I'm probably crazy, but..." That looked like Danny, blank back there. And so I found an exit and went back and came back around. Sure enough, it was him. And here was Danny and his friend when they were beginning their adventure. Huge backpacks on their back and hanging right here on the side of of all the essentials that they had to have to backpack across the country was his bright orange blow dryer. (laughs) For his long blonde hair. There are some things that are just necessary when you're roughing it, right? Well, I want to tell you, Danny later got married. Most people thought that was a miracle. And then they had their first son, and Danny changed. It was like a a light switch got flipped. It was as different as daylight and dark. He went from being the ultimate rule breaker, the ultimate adventurer, the ultimate whatever name you want to give it to becoming the ultimate dad and what a great dad and what a great father he has been I don't know about all those years before about how God looked at him but from the time that Danny became a father he walked with God and he's still walking with God today now I did not know my natural father he never provided a home for my mom And me, I had no pictures of him. I didn't know what he looked like until a couple of years ago. I did not know my two half-sisters or my half-brother. I remember growing up as an only child, crying at night, wishing I had brothers and sisters. I know some of you grew up crying at night because you did. (laughs) That's just how that works. But I never knew my natural dad. Wilson Shelton, or as he was known to his friends, Willie, his brothers, all six of them, and his sister, they all called him Wilson. But his friends called him Willie. He became my dad just before I started school at the age of six. He not only married my mom, be adopted, But he adopted me, and he gave me his name, Shelton. Now, early on in their marriage, spiritual pursuits were not very high on the agenda. Though my mom had grown up in a Christian home, she had long since rebelled against all that and pushed against all of that. Saturday afternoon, my mom was a hairdresser, Saturday afternoons, my dad and I could often be found at the Shamrock Bar on Markham Street in Little Rock, Arkansas. at a place known as Stiff Station where Kavanaugh heads north, we lived in an upstairs apartment at the corner of Pearl and Markham. And so about a block and a half away was the Shamrock Bar. It's where my dad and I would spend Saturday afternoons. They had a little black and white TV where you could watch football. Now, understand, this was way back in the 60s. This was primitive time. And my dad and other guys would shoot pool. If not the shamrock, well, we also spent time at the Blue Goose Drive-In, at Peck's, at the Ship Ahoy, and at many others. But my conversion at the age of nine changed all of that. It was in a revival meeting on a Wednesday night in November. It was at Park Place Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. And it was a miracle we were even at church, let alone on a revival night. I think it was my aunt and uncle, my mom's sister that persuaded us to come. And I got saved. I trusted Christ as my savior. He called me to himself. He gave me the gift of faith and it made a difference in my life. But understand, it made a big difference also in my dad's life. A Few weeks later, he and I were both baptized the same evening at Park Place Baptist Church. And his recommitment to Christ was real. Dad became my Galilean leader. That was a program for boys in our church. We were always there. Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and Wednesday evenings. We worked at the church together. If there was a work day, if there was something that needed to be done, my dad and I were there. We memorized Scripture together as a part of that Galilean ministry. We went to church camps together. He was an example to me even when I did not know that I needed an example. During that time, he stopped smoking and stopped drinking because he decided it was not consistent with his Christian testimony. My dad had a beginning to his Christian walk and it was significant, and it was significant in our family's life. The character of his walk. Enoch's walk with God, the Bible says in Hebrews, that by faith he pleased God. God was pleased with Enoch's life. Enoch knew what it was to hear, well done, good and faithful servant when God called him home. I'm convinced my father knew that also. Enoch's walk with God was progressive. It was a walk. And you know what a walk is? It gets you somewhere. You see, there was a destination out there. And know this, that whatever is the destination of your life will determine the direction of your life. Did you hear that? Because that's quite profound. I didn't make it up. I heard that somewhere. But it's true. The destination of your life will determine the direction of your life. There are many people who wear the name Christian that, that hold to the idea that heaven is the destination of their lives, but the way they walk in life does not show it at all. The destination is not giving them direction in life because they're listening to other voices and they're following other pursuits and they just hope that in this life they can walk however they want to walk and when it comes time to die, to end up with the Lord. My friend, don't be deceived by that. There was a progression in his walk. Enoch was walking with God and he was walking towards God. There was purpose in his walk. It was a prophetic walk because the book of Jude tells us get this, that Enoch, we never think of him as a prophet, but that Enoch prophesied of these things, saying, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Enoch saw what maybe few, if any other prophets, ever saw. He didn't write a book. He wasn't known as a great prophet of Israel, but he saw the second coming of Jesus. It was a prophetic walk. It was a pleasing walk. That's what his The character of his walk was like the same should be true about you and me now when it comes to my dad there was purpose and progression in his life too but let me give you three other words for my dad's walk with God and what was the character of his walk number one it was disciplined it was disciplined my dad was an engineer By profession. He had started off in engineering school at Arkansas Tech, and then the Army called him. And it was right at the end of World War II, and he spent two years in Japan as a 19 year old and he was in occupied Japan for two years, and when he came out of the army, he exercised this blessing known as the GI Bill, and he came to the University of Arkansas, and he came here when this was just a sleepy little town, and he said, you know, my apartment was downhill, every class I had was uphill, and every day I had to pack every book I had because I wasn't gonna walk up that hill any more than I had to. appeal both ways. He was an engineer. It was a profession that he was often recognized and commended for as he worked for the Army Corps of Engineers. But it taught him precision. It taught him accuracy. He knew how to use a slide rule. He knew what A compass was for, one of these that you make mechanical drawings with, not one of these that you hold to see which way is north. He knew what it was like to use surveyor's tools and a plumb bob to survey and to measure. He was not only that, he was an hydraulic engineer. One of the things he did as a student was to go out to the Illinois River outside of, not Muskogee, a little closer, Tahlequah and to there measure the volume of water as it ran underneath the bridge and to do that that helped him later as he was given the task of being the design chief for the arkansas river project from mississippi to tulsa and all that series of locks and dams that made that river navigable was because of his work and his team's work now if you're a farmer down that way and it flooded your land, I'm sorry. That was the downside to all of that stuff. But he was precise, and he was accurate. And that's the way he approached everything. What made him a great engineer sometimes made him a frustrating grandfather. And I've got two daughters here that can attest to that. Have an engineer take you bowling. He was a bowling champion in the leagues that he bowled at, but he was very careful to tell you and to teach you how to bowl to the point that the granddaughters could come home crying from going on an outing with granddaddy. (laughs) He was a man of precision. He was a man of accuracy with very little patience in between. To give you an idea, on New Year's of his 80th year on life, He said, let me tell you, this never was a big deal to me, but growing up, I didn't ever hear much about it, about making resolutions. He said, I want to announce to my family that I've made a New Year's resolution this year. The age of 80. we said, well, what was that, Dad? He said, I have resolved to be more articulate in my speech because I have gotten lazy in articulating my words. I want to just suggest to you, move to Texas. It will do that for you. And he had moved to Texas, and he had gotten a little lazy in his speech. And at the age of 80, he thought, I need to make that better. I need to correct that. That's the way he lived a disciplined life. He lived life that way in his walk with God as well. He was still memorizing Scripture at the time of his death. He was not only disciplined, he was dependable. He was dependable. My dad could be counted on. If he said he would do it, he did it. You didn't have to ask him twice. You did not have to remind him. He did it. If he said he would be there, he would be there. And he would be there on time. He was every bit as faithful to the three Baptist churches he belonged to over the course of his life. He was every bit as faithful as the preacher was. He took no Sundays off unless it was because he was out of town seeing family or in a hospital overcoming cancer. He just didn't miss church. He was dependable. If he made a commitment, he fulfilled it. And he was a debtor. Now, I understand for those of you English people out there that you've got, go ahead and put up debtor, that you've got two adjectives and a noun. And I know that's not real balanced, right? But he was a debtor. Now, not in the sense of owing people money, because he didn't borrow money. He was a debtor like the Apostle Paul who saw his Christian life was one that was a debt. Because of what God had done for him and because of what God had blessed him with, my dad saw that he owed God everything in life not as a means to earn some kind of credit not as a means to try to pay God back how do you pay back the one who's given you your very life and your hope of heaven you could never do that but he saw that his debt to God was to be repaid in how he treated other people and so from day one of his recommitment to Christ. He started working at a place where they desperately needed help in our home church, and that was with the bus ministry and with the reaching kids. And so all day Saturdays were spent knocking on doors, seeing if we could pick. That was back when you could put your kids on a church bus and have the morning off if you were not a church person. But because of him, the bus ministry and kids, many of them were saved and, and many were coming to church. And he did that in, in two different churches that he belonged to. He and my mom opened their home to those who had just gotten out of prison and were needing a place to stay who were in need when we would go to New Orleans for uh, for Thanksgiving which is our annual trip down that way we never knew for sure who was going to be at the dinner table we had no idea And one day, uh, one Thanksgiving, there was this very statuesque lady, and and I knew that she had been in the ladies' Bible study program. She had been in prison in downtown New Orleans in a notorious women's prison. And, uh, And my mom was leading a Bible study there, and so she got out. And here she was at Thanksgiving dinner. And my mom was just this way. She would say, I was sitting next to Ella. And my mom said, Ella, uh, tell tell Kirk what you were in prison for. And she looked at me, kind of looking down a little bit. She said, I killed my husband. (laughs) Well, what do you say to that? My mom just set me up. And the only thing I could think of, what, did he need it? You know, did (laughs) Did he need killing? Well, evidently he did. He beat her one too many times. We never knew who was going to be at the table. Mom and dad were just that way. He volunteered, free of charge, to be a tutor to kids struggling with their grades. A tax preparer for all the rest of it. Whatever needed to be done around the church, he was there to do it. For more than 40 years, he was a Gideon, beginning in Little Rock, then New Orleans, and then walks to Hatchie, Texas, where we lived, where he was a member of the church where I pastored. In New Orleans, where it's illegal to go on campus, it's illegal to pass out Bibles. There's nothing he loved more than to sit or to stand across the street from a school with a box full of New Testaments giving them away to children as they got out of school. He loved that. He was paying his debt to God by serving others. That was the character of his walk. Let me quickly tell you about the consistency of his walk. Really it goes with the character. It was a consistent walk. The Bible says Enoch walked with God for 300 years. My dad didn't walk with God that long, but he walked with God a long time. Now listen to me, folks. We've already touched on this. Often people confuse knowing God with walking with God. And they are not always the same thing. I have known God for some 60 years. But I have not walked with God consistently and faithfully for all of those years. My dad trusted Christ as his Savior as a young boy living in Pine Valley, Oklahoma. He was baptized into the Methodist Church in Pine Valley over in eastern Oklahoma. And he was baptized in the Kaimichi River. That was a group of Methodists that immersed They didn't sprinkle. From that time forward, he knew God. But he did not always walk in step with God. He certainly did not when he married my mom. However, from the time that he recommitted his life to the Lord in the mid-60s, my dad walked in step with God. Was he perfect? Of course not. But his relationship with the Lord became the most important relationship in his life. More important than being a dad to me. More important than being a husband to my mom. More important than being a model employee in his work, in his career. The most important relationship of his life was his walk with God. And he was consistent in that walk. He never wavered. He did not have to go and and wait for a revival at church to get revived. He was not on again, off again. He was not seasonal in his service or in his attendance. He was steady, and he was steady as a rock. Every church I know of needs men like that, needs women like that, to raise their children to be men and women like that. He was consistent, the consistency of his walk. Number four, and I'll close with this, the culmination of his walk. The culmination of his walk. Genesis says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now you see him. Now you don't. One day he was there. The next day he was not. One moment he was firmly planted on planet Earth. And the next moment he was in the presence of God. Like I heard one country preacher preaching about Enoch one time, saying Enoch walked with God for so long that one day God said, Enoch, why don't you just go ahead and come home with me? We're closer to my house than your house anyway. That's kind of the way it happened for him. Man, wouldn't that be something? Not to have to go through a slow decline in life of losing your health Losing your wealth, if you have any of it, and diminishing and diminishing until your last breath. While that is the norm for most of us, it wasn't for Enoch. Now, the last couple of years of my dad's life were years of a slow decline of health. Though his health, his physical body was experiencing decline, and some of his short-term memory became uh, a little confused, his mind was mostly still eager to learn, his wit still sharp, his love for God and his word and his family still growing. The last 10 years of his life were the only 10 years that we lived in close proximity and they came to Texas to live where we lived after he retired, and he was a member of the church where I was pastor, and uh, we had a Friday morning, it was just a small group, it was one kind of hand-selected, about six or eight men that met for years on Friday morning at 5.30, every Friday morning at a local restaurant to study the Word together and to eat breakfast together. And on those Friday mornings, my dad, being the oldest one there, was still quoting scripture. And not only that, but quoting poetry that he had memorized earlier in life. He could still give us all astronomy lessons because he was an amateur astronomer. He could name just about every star or any planet that you were to point out in the night sky, and all of that changes with the seasons, and he knew it all. I wish I had listened more. In fact, during the last week of his life in the hospital there in Waxahachie, when he was mostly out of touch mentally and mostly asleep in the hospital due to medication, one of our men from the Friday morning Bible study came by to see him. And, and my dad, you wouldn't have thought he even knew that he was there. But Dan knelt, bent over close to him and asked him about the meteor shower the news had been talking about. And my dad began to try to explain it to him, mumbling in words you couldn't fully understand. But with his hand reaching towards the horizon telling us exactly where to look on that same day later way late in the evening sitting with him in the hospital room and him asleep or on his medication and I had my computer and was doing some work and I played very softly some hymns on my computer my dad responded to that he loved music having sung in every choir he could get himself into and in a quartet years before As the instrumental verses of all creatures of our God and King were playing he was mumbling words I could not understand but They became crystal clear when the chorus came. The words, Alleluia, Alleluia. Those words were unmistakable. For my dad, in the wee hours of Saturday morning, August 14th, 2010, in a time of surrounding gloom, Everything gave way to sudden glory as God called him home as he left this life. Oh, it wasn't like Enoch in the very strength of life. But he entered through the door of death to the very same heaven. And I know because the scripture promised it, that he received a rich welcome into a place prepared for him by his Lord. My dad, like Enoch, was a man who walked with God. Are you ready? Are you ready for the surrounding gloom of this life? And folks, if you don't see the darkness getting darker every day all around you, you must be blind. You must be living in darkness already. Because our world, pardon the expression, is going to hell in a handbasket. We live in a time of surrounding gloom. And for all of us, there is a day that has already been set. It was set before God created Enoch or the world. It was set before you were ever born. The other bookend of your life is already in place. If you're a Christian, a true Christian, who knows the Lord, that will be a day that all the surrounding gloom will so quickly, in a moment, be changed into sudden glory. As you see the one, the face of the one who gave himself for you. In the meantime, if that's our destination, then the direction of our life and the walk of our life needs to reflect it. Amen? We make daily choices about the direction of our life. Most of the time, these are not big, earth shaking, life changing decisions. They are usually small, ordinary, seemingly insignificant decisions. But they are not. They are daily, ordinary means of grace. They are small steps of obedience that become avenues of God's grace into our lives. There are things like prayer, reading my Bible, faithfulness to meeting with God's people, corporate worship, fellowship with God's people, even outside the church, And I could go on and on and on. It's an amazing thing that professing Christians can neglect these things, often have no desire for these things, and think that the destination of their life will be heaven, simply because somewhere along the way, they made a singular, isolated decision to accept Jesus many years prior. Dear friends, daily choosing a direction in life that leaves God outside the picture is a direction that is not likely to end up in the destination that you hope for. And if that's not enough to speak to your heart, understand this, on this Father's Day 2022, It's not just your life that is at stake. It is the life of children and grandchildren who look to you. It's those little things in your life that can become the big things in your children or grandchildren's lives. In your habits, your priorities, and your values. Let me leave you with two quotes. The first one is by Paul Tripp, and he says this, For the most part, our children will embrace our values as their own, but without the boundaries. Meaning, what's important to you? Work, sports, all kinds of other things? Those are important to you, but maybe you have some boundaries about those that keep them in check. But those values become the values of your children, but without the boundaries. Basically, that's another way of saying what you allow in moderation in your life, your children will excuse to excess in their lives. The other quote is by Pastor Kevin DeYoung. The man who attempts Christianity without the church, the man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. Father, thank you for the story of Enoch. Thank you for a picture of what it's like of a man who walks with you and who pleases you with his faith. Father, I thank you for my dad on this Father's Day for being a man like that. I thank you for the men of this church who are men like that. May we all be more like your son, Jesus, as men, women, boys, and girls. I pray in Jesus' name,
0: amen. Our hearts desires that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary As we study and serve together, we meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.